You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. This week's edition of Banner Monday is coming right up. Before we get to that, a quick word from this week's sponsor, SeatGeek. As you know, getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it is hard to know who to trust, but that's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There is nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value And there are only three opportunities left to watch your Indiana Hoosiers play at home this season. And I know it's been an awful season. (laughs) We haven't been winning at home. So it's not exactly as easy a sell as it usually is to get to Simon Scott Assembly Hall. But it's the last three opportunities to watch Romeo play in IU uniform. And perhaps even more importantly than that, the last few opportunities to watch Juwan Morgan play in an Indiana uniform after his fourth season of just being a warrior for this program. Obviously, his senior day coming up when Indiana faces Rutgers on March 10th. But the Wisconsin game before that and the Michigan State State game on March 2nd, where we will be in attendance. Ryan, Andy, and I will all be at that game. So if you need, you know, a little extra motivation to get there, if you're thinking about it and you want to go to that game, we would certainly love to meet you. So if you do get tickets, of course, go to SeatGeek, get your tickets there. But also shoot us a message, you know, tweet me, send me an email, let me know that you're going to be there because we would love to meet up. And we're going to be at the Crazy Horse after the game, so you can come meet us there too. Uh, But, you know, really, if you can go to the Wisconsin game tonight, there are tickets right now from $20 on SeatGeek. So some really well-priced tickets to get in there to the hall, support these guys, obviously help them, you know, end the season with some kind of momentum. Uh, going down the stretch. And the reason to do it at SeatGeek is because SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. SeatGeek searches multiple ticket sites and grades every ticket based on value, so they help you immediately identify the best seats to fit your budget. And every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. It's by far the easiest way that I've found to shop for tickets. I would use SeatGeek to buy tickets to an IU game if we didn't have uh, a listener of the Assembly Call who was so generous as to let us use his tickets. Uh, but that's I've used SeatGeek to buy our tickets to, uh, to a game in Assembly Hall before. So I recommend them because I use them and their app is really good. And best of all, listeners to the Assembly Call get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code ASSEMBLY today. That's promo code ASSEMBLY for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. And now, here's this week's edition of Banner Monday. And welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Banner Monday, where we kick off each week by doing what IU fans love more than anything else, and that is talking hoops. This is the 17th edition of Banner Monday, and it is our 490th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the afternoon of Monday, February 25th, 2019. I am your host, Jared Morris, and let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment. There are no silver linings to losing 12 out of 13 games. The results are in the books. They are unacceptable. 
It goes without saying that the coaching staff won't be able to survive a stretch anything close to this next season, regardless of the context. And as I reflect on this awful stretch of losing and try to find reasons for why next season could and should be better, I keep settling on two factors. Indiana's improved defense, which is number 26 nationally in adjusted defensive efficiency, and it's once again awful three-point shooting, which is 321st overall. So I decided to look at the other top 30 defenses and how three-point shooting correlated with their success, and what I found did not surprise me. Of the top 30 defenses in adjusted defensive efficiency, only four have 12 or more losses, Northwestern, Georgia Tech, Akron, and of course, Indiana. And of the top 30 defenses, those four schools are among the bottom six in terms of their three-point percentage, all ranked 294th or worse nationally and well below average. The outliers at the bottom, VCU and Duke, who have the number four and number five defenses respectively. In other words, truly elite. Northwestern, Georgia Tech, Akron, and Indiana are ranked between 22nd and 29th defensively, so very good, but not elite. The lesson? If you have an elite defense or a roster full of NBA players, you can compensate for poor three-point shooting like VCU and Duke do. But if you only have a very good defense, not elite, like the other teams that are with Indiana in the 20s in adjusted defensive efficiency, Virginia Tech, Gonzaga, Lipscomb, Kansas, Louisville, Nevada, and Buffalo, then you need to be able to hit your threes to be a good team and win at least at an NCAA tournament level. All seven of those teams I just named are at least average as three-point shooting teams. So let's play a fun little game. What would Indiana's season look like if they just hit threes at the clip that, say, Buffalo has this year? Buffalo is shooting 34.2%, while the national average is 34.4%. I looked at each of Indiana's losses and bumped their three-point percentage for that game up to the national average. Just by doing that, hitting a couple more of the open shots Indiana has gotten in some of its poorest shooting games, the Hoosiers would have four more Big Ten wins. Indiana's losses at Northwestern and Iowa would have become close victories, as would home losses to Ohio State and Purdue. In this hypothetical dream scenario, the Hoosiers' record would be 8-8 eight and eight in conference play and 17-10 and 10 overall. We'd essentially be Ohio State, who is number 18 in defense and, yep, you guessed it, hitting threes at right around the national average. The Buckeyes aren't having a great season, but they're still solidly in NCAA tournament projections despite losing three or four, something we'd all take right now. So what's the point? It's this. If you believe that Indiana's defensive improvement this season is sustainable, and Archie Miller's track record suggests that it is, then the question you need to ask yourself as you look ahead to next season is can the Hoosiers become simply an average three-point shooting team? Because if they can, and if the defense remains top 30, then it's more than reasonable to expect next season to go much better than this one has. And while that modest improvement isn't nearly enough to begin any real conversations about hanging banners, because it takes much more than just good defense and average three-point shooting to be a great team, it would at least represent an encouraging step forward and a path back to the NCAA tournament. And sadly, right now, during what looks like it will be a third straight year on the outside looking in, that will have to do for positive visions of Indiana's short-term future. All right, joining me for today's mailbag segment, he's a columnist for The Big Lead and a host of The Hangover, it is Ryan Phillips. Ryan, any opening thoughts before we knock out some questions here? Can we please just beat Wisconsin? That's my only opening thought. I'd just really like to, to, to beat Wisconsin and maybe make some jumpers. That's, that's where I'm at right now. <laughs> Just That's make some it. jumpers. Just make some jumpers. We don't make a lot. I just want to make a few. Just make some jumpers. That That is our rallying cry heading into Tuesday night. Just make just some make jumpers. Any jumpers. Just some jumpers. Any. I don't care where they're from. They could be from five feet. If it looks like a form 
like you know informed jump shot uh, i'd really like to see it just make some jumpers guys all right uh so mike decorsi will be here soon to do our big 10 roundup i'll do a short preview of the wisconsin game coming up after that but let's jump into some questions ryan david asked do we have to win the rest of our regular season games and get to the semis of the big 10 tournament to have a hope of making the ncaa tournament you know, you win the rest of your regular season games, you're 17 and 14. You get to the semis of the Big Ten tournament, you're probably 19 and 14. First of all, I would say, let's just win one. Let's get the next victory. But I would say, yeah, if you want to dream about the NCAA tournament, you probably have to do at least that to get yourself back probably, in the conversation. Yeah. It's, so. it's, it's also going to depend on who you beat. I mean, you know, that has a lot to do with it. Well, and, in this case, you're beating everybody. So, right. No, but I mean, I, you know, it's, it's going to depend. You know, obviously, it's going to depend on you beat Wisconsin, you beat Michigan State, you beat, you know, it's, and, and I will say this about Michigan State, who's coming up and we're going to be there this weekend. Michigan State isn't as good a team as the one that we beat in, in Lansing. You know, they've lost Nick Ward. I, I, it's a different situation for Michigan State than it was. They're playing very well, and they're a very well-rounded team. And Cassius Winston is a guy that uh, you know can carry a team to you know to be better than they are. But I don't know, man. I I, I mean, there all the games left on Indiana's schedule are incredibly winnable. Uh, the problem is this team just doesn't play up to its potential, and so um, you've got to figure out where you're going, what you're going to do and who you're playing and, and, and yeah, map it out. I mean, if you get to the, to the big 10 tournament semis and you win the rest of your regular season games, certainly you're going to give people something to think about. Um, but you know, we'll see, I, there, there are enough big wins on the schedule where if it's between Indiana and another school, I think you're going to, you know, if they're pretty even, I think they're going to tilt towards Indiana, but you got to get to that point first. And right now it just doesn't look like this team is at that point. So Josiah asks, has this stretch of losing already done too much damage to Archie? Indiana losing to Syracuse in 2013 damaged Crane to the extent that not even a Big Ten championship in 2016 was enough to repair the damage. I definitely don't mean to imply the loss to Syracuse was the only reason he was fired, but I do think it did irreparable damage to Crane in the eyes of many fans. The kind of damage I'm worried Archie has already experienced with this losing streak. What kind of damage has a losing streak done, and what will he need to do over the next two to three seasons to repair the damage? It's a good question. I think it's a little bit of a faulty premise, but I understand where the question is coming from. Yeah, I think, think it's I think it's a little misguided. I think that people who in the know aren't questioning Archie very much. They think there's been a lot of factors. There's been a mountain of factors that have led to this losing streak. Um, this isn't when Tom Crane's team would lose, and it, we could just point to on ball defense. You know, I mean, it's just like if, if they played better on ball defense, they'd win. You know, yeah, I mean. There are nine to ten factors you could point to in this losing streak that have just snowballed and made this all the way it is. And I think some of them are out of Archie Miller's control. Um, certainly injuries and, and just throwing the team's rhythm off has been a huge part of it. Certainly some of the players he has who you know he inherited, who I think he would not choose to go out and get, uh, have something to do with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's a million factors. Certainly in the... In the in the minds of a certain segment of the fan base, yeah, Archie is no longer golden. And, and um, whether I agree with that or not, I mean, I don't, I don't think any coach is golden or, or untouchable, but I, I think that um, whether I agree with that or not, it's certainly true. I don't think this is something that will take a long time to dig out of. If, if Indiana comes out next year as a completely different team and focused and intense and you know looks like the team we expected them to be in the first half of the season, then I think most people will be like, all right, well, there's a lot of bad things going on last year. It just kind of snowballed and, and that's what happened. Uh, 
if you here's my thing about Indiana Indiana fans versus the the national um, sort of perception. Uh, nobody around the country is questioning whether Archie Miller is the right guy for the Indiana job. They believe that this has been a season where things have just been awful and fallen apart. And and what we saw at the beginning of the season is more like what Archie Miller is going to do at Indiana than the back half of the season. That's not encouraging to Indiana fans who have to watch these games. I get it, but I think it's sometimes it's worth stepping out of the Indiana bubble and sort of viewing what everybody else sees. And a lot of people have looked at this team and said, you know, a guy like Deron Davis could be a cornerstone of a team. He's, you know, st- probably still not at 100%. Um, you've had injuries to Rob Finnessy right when he was getting hot, starting to hit threes and starting to be a reliable guy on the perimeter. Totally threw off his season. You're missing Race Thompson for the entire season. In two short stints, we've seen what Race Thompson can do. Um, obviously, not from an offensive standpoint, but just from an energy and a, you know defensive standpoint and a rebounding standpoint. You're missing Jerome Hunter, who was going to be a stud for this team. It was going to be a guy who could spread the floor, also drive and, and make some things happen offensively and be a really nice compliment to Romeo Langford. I mean, nationally, the perception is this is just a bad hand they've been dealt and they've been playing it poorly. Basically, instead of, you know, managing to find a way to make chicken salad out of, you know, what. Um, But I think that when you're Indiana fans and you have to watch every single game and be disappointed every single game, it, of course, snowballs. Um, But I don't think that this is taking the shine off of Archie as much as I think some Indiana fans believe. I think that a good stretch of play and you start to, I think people would start to realize, okay, this is more what we're expecting. And if they've been losing games like these last two games where it's close, it's tight, you're one play away from winning and the hustle, the effort, the defensive intensity is there, then yeah, I think that it would be a different perception. But for a long time, there was a malaise over this team and they weren't playing well. And I think that that's what people remember right now. And they're forgetting there have been some positives to develop over that time. And we actually, we don't know yet what the final kind of tone of the narrative will be for this losing streak right now. We won't know that really for a couple of years because, you know, with the Korean Syracuse game, that was bad when it happened. There's no question about it. But if Indiana had made it back to the NCAA tournament the next year, been competitive in Big Ten play and been consistently successful, that would have been a really bad game but it wouldn't have felt like it like it kind of feels now where it's like this was the beginning of the end for Tom Crean. You know, it was all the stuff that came after that that helped to color our perception that this was maybe one of the first signs that this guy wasn't, you know, really the right guy for the job. And certainly this has the potential for that. Like if next season doesn't go well and then the fourth season, you know, we're once again like not even on the bubble, you know, okay, obviously people are going to look back at this and be like, okay, well we, you know, you could see it in year two when they lost 12 out of 13 and he didn't have a way to stop it. But we don't know yet because there's still a way that or there's still a future where Indiana is really good in year four. And you look back at this and it's like, well, you know, the guy was dealing with players from another, you know, from another coach. They couldn't shoot. They had these injuries, you know, and and kind of got unlucky along the way. That boy, that was a weird time. But he's really got things back kind of consistently year in, year out now where they're winning. So, we just don't know yet. So I like the question from Josiah because I think in a couple years we could look back on this like that Syracuse game, but we just don't know yet. And we have to remember that it's what came afterwards for Kareem, you know, missing the tournament more often than not, you know, competing for the Big Ten one year and finishing 11th the next year. That's what did him in. And, well, and, and I think that that Syracuse loss 
some of us expected it because of the matchup. I mean, we just did. Like, I mean, we, uh, you know, some I of us go, says the guy who predicted it before the tournament started. <laughs> I, I, I go back to that when you guys asked me, "What are the who would you not want to be in a bracket with?" And I said Wisconsin that year and Syracuse were the two teams I did not want to be in any. I wanted to be in the opposite side of the bracket just because of the way they played and the way that Indiana was constructed with smaller guards. Syracuse has very athletic had very athletic guards who played on the the. Um, outside of that zone to prevent those guys from shooting. And what happened? We got matched up with them in the Sweet 16. And we've always said it. You need some luck to win a national title. You need some luck to to advance really far in the tournament. You do because you need to have matchups that fit your what you do or at least are neutral matchups. That was a matchup that swung way in Syracuse's favor. And we also and, looked clueless, too. And, you know, Hulls was hurt. Was and, like, the, there were a lot of factors. Sure, there was the combination of that. But just the straight-up matchup was terrible for Indiana. You know, you wanted somebody who was going to try and play man-to-man on Cody Zeller and Victor Oladipo, not zone them. And because the key of a zone is you can basically double a guy with, but your guys on the outside have to be able to make shots and spread the spread the zone out, and nobody could get a shot off with Yogi Ferrell and and Jordan Holes because of their size, lack of size. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't think that that loss was necessarily the nail in the coffin for for Crean with people. It was it the was, beginning. It was the beginning of then they come back the next year and look terrible, and it's like, all right, well, what's going on here? We were supposed to have this whole new crop of young guys who would help that team, you know, sort of transition to the next thing. And it didn't happen. And I think that that was more damning than the actual loss to Syracuse. Yeah. So, again, you know, we're just going to have to see the timing of this. If Indiana had started the season with 12 out of 13 losses and then, you know, gone 12 and 2 in their next 14, if you just reverse the seasons, it's a lot different. But this coming at the end of the season in Big Ten play. Right. So, you know, again, I mean, there's no there's no excuses for it. Like I said, if no. there's a stretch anything like this next year, he won't be here and he shouldn't be. But we just we don't quite know enough yet. And that's important to understand because it's the second season. We have to see what plays out after this. Now, you right. know, and, and I, I think that you, as, to your point, Jared, I think that that's an interesting point is that if he goes through this next year, he won't have the excuses that are built in this year. And you can call them excuses or you can call them facts. I mean, both exist. I mean, look, the injuries have been devastating to this team. They really have. And now that everybody's back healthy, you're starting to see them play better. But still, these guys, a lot of them aren't in game shape. They're not back to where they were. And that's a huge thing. I mean, Rob Finnessy was becoming a really good point guard and a really good perimeter player for this team who could knock down shots and be clutch and all that stuff. He gets a concussion. And he's a different player when he comes back because he's just so out of rhythm. He's starting to get back to that. We finally are seeing him start to be that guy again, you know, a, a, a shell of that guy, but still, you know, a, a, a like that guy that he was in December. But that's your point guard. I mean, that's your starting point guard. He had he had won that position from Devontae Green, and now he's kind of, you know, almost like having to start over and, and um, I think that that was huge for this team. And I think that if you look at some of the other factors, especially with how streaky a guy like Devontae Green is, if he had a good game, you know, the team might win. But if he has a bad game, this team without Rob Finnessy had no chance of winning. And so I think there's just been so much up and down with this team and there's been so much turnover and, and, and change to the lineups and all that because of necessity, not because of, you know, uh, choices by the coaching staff. So, but if this happens next year, and you don't have all those factors thrown in, or even if guys do get injured again, then you're starting to question, well, what are the practice habits? Like, what, yeah. are, they, what are they doing to cause these injuries and all that? This is right now looks like just 
a confluence of all the bad things that could possibly happen. I'm not absolving the coaching staff and all of their in-game decisions and all of that, but you can survive that with your full roster and the team playing well. And you look at what the coaching staff did earlier in the year. Really, the Duke game is the only game where they didn't look like they knew what they were doing and you know that they were on top of everything and everything. Now it's changed, but what are the factors that make it change? I think you have to dig deeper than just wins and losses before you start you know, throwing the coaching staff out the window. Now, again, if this happens next year, it's a different story. We're start we're 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 you know beyond uh, making excuses for these guys. They need to figure out ways to win. Um, James has a question specifically for you, Brian. He says, "Who is who is having the more disappointing season, IU or the Lakers?" Uh, I would say, ooh, that's interesting. Because both have dealt with injuries. I mean, the Lakers were fourth in the West on Christmas Day and beat the Warriors by 20 at Golden State. Lost Rondo and LeBron James, and it kind of threw everything off. But Indiana's dealt with injuries, too. I would say Indiana, because I think there were a lot of expectations coming in this year. I think the Lakers' only expectation this year was to make the playoffs because of all the young guys and then go get another superstar in the offseason. And then they'd start to challenge for a title. I don't think that anybody reasonable expected them to challenge for a championship this year it was just the goal was make the playoffs and make that leap um but yeah both teams have dealt with a lot of injuries uh lonzo ball is still going to be out for like six weeks i mean that's you know he's your starting point guard just like when you miss fantasy or whatever um so yeah i'd say it's pretty even but i would say indiana because i think there were higher expectations and a higher ceiling on things for indiana than there were for the lakers i think anybody reasonable didn't expect the lakers to do much other than make the playoffs now they may not even do that uh, here's a question from Matt. Uh, after listening to the interview with Colin Hartman on the Grueling Truth podcast, uh, Hartman also did an interview on the Hoosier Hysterics podcast that was really good. Um, he, Matt says, I was stunned at some of the things that went on behind the curtains when Crean was there. Things that affected the team we never knew about, like never knowing what their practice schedule would be on a daily basis. I remember the first time I was told that. I thought it was one of the most insane things that I'd ever so heard. I. Absolutely. I heard about it when they were there, but I didn't really believe it. Uh, fully, I was just kind of like, oh, that can't be every day. I know. I know. That can't really be true, right? They don't know when they're going to practice and they get texted. And sometimes, as Colin said, sometimes they would get a text at like six o'clock in the evening or five o'clock in the evening that said, I hope you enjoyed your day off, <laughs> but they couldn't do anything because they they're going to have to practice. Just so ridiculous. Uh, but Matt says, what are some other things that the players went through or maybe are going through now that might be affecting their performance? I've thought with their wild swings in play this season, something internally was likely going on. So, you know, things that the players went through i mean beyond you know some you know things that we've heard from people and some of the stuff that you hear on interviews from a guy like colin you know that we don't know a lot about what they may be going through i think one thing that you can anticipate whenever there's a coaching change like there was with indiana ryan is you know you have guys that were recruited to play one system and in this case this is not going from Thad Mata to Chris Holtman, as we talked about. This, this is two coaches with almost polar opposite personalities, polar opposite systems. Um, maybe not polar opposite, but distinctly different. And it does feel like there have been personality clashes among players, guys who were recruited by one coach and recruited by another coach, and personality clashes between coaches and players, specifically you know, players who were here before and the coach. And you add that to the mix of all the injuries and all the other things that have happened, and that certainly hasn't helped. 
So, you know, and you will see that sometimes when a new coach takes over, which a lot of times is why there is attrition when a new coach takes over because it's not the right fit because the coach didn't, you know, didn't recruit those players. Now, Archie did make the decision to keep guys like Al Durham and Justin Smith and Clifton Moore. So he's not absolved from that. But I think it is natural for things like that to happen. I think we've seen some of that this season. What will be interesting is, you know, what does the roster look like next year? Who ends up leaving in the offseason, if anybody? Because I think if those kinds of issues were strong enough that they were really impacting this team this year, then you would expect maybe those guys to find a different place to, to play basketball next year. And I'm not saying we know you know of any guy who is going to do that, but when a season is this bad, it's still early in a coach's tenure, seeing some attrition, seeing some transfers would not be a shocking result after a season like this. Not at all. I mean, uh, you know, and you say that, I mean, these philosophies were, I wouldn't say polar opposite, but they were very very opposite philosophies offensively there's there's some differences i think it's more of a set system with archie than than sort of a crean system was almost like jazz you just kind of improvise as you went along and i think this is more of a set you know system as a guy playing a piano um i think that also defensively it's completely different and and i think that some guys fit it some guys don't some guys want to play up on you know on ball defense man to man for 50 feet as opposed to you know playing within the system where you're responsible for other guys and you're responsible for help and uh, you have specific very specific areas you're supposed to be in and all of that uh with the pack line uh but i don't know i you know we'll see i i think we have heard whispers of clashes behind the scenes between players that are there for archie and players that were there for the previous um you know regime and all that and and i think that that's going to happen and and you you know archie is bringing in a different type of player than Crean did and Crean also loved to get projects and work on projects and work on them specifically and i think that while a lot of those guys wound up having a lot of success with you know guys like durola depot and will Sheehy and um well will Sheehy, we all know my thoughts on him uh and and ogn and obi you know those guys but I also think that spending so much time working on individual guys does take away from the rest of the team. And I think you did see some of the higher level guys under Green suffer because of that, um, because they weren't necessarily, you know, they're high school, they were high school kids who weren't necessarily self-starters. You have to kind of plug them all into that development system as opposed to focusing so much on guys with high athletic upside. I think you need to focus on everybody. And I think that Additionally, what you're seeing is guys that Archie has brought in are more willing to do things that he would do, which is dive on the floor, go after loose balls, be the guy who, you know, pumps you up and has a little bit of emotion behind him and and things like that. And some of the previous guys weren't those guys. And and I think you're starting to see as they leave the program, I do think you're going to see a different type of player in this program. And, And I think that if you look at the freshmen who are playing, um, and you see a guy like Race Thompson come back, and it's stark to see him play and be like, "Oh, oh, okay, that's what we were missing," you know. And and, and it's there's a reason why Archie was so high on a guy like Zach McRoberts, and, and regardless of his shooting ability, and and you know Zach being out this year has been a huge blow to this team from a from a perspective of guys doing all the right things they should be doing because you look at what he provides and you look at what Indiana is missing. And those two things line up pretty well in a lot of spots. 
Yeah, and look, it should be noted that even with a coach who takes over and wins, there can be personality clashes. You probably just don't hear about them as much because you're winning. When you're losing, everyone is searching for every reason. Why on earth have we lost 12 out of 13 games? It's funny, uh, Bart Torvik kind of ran the numbers for what the odds were of this. He has Indiana ranked 67th in his ranking system. What were the odds of Indiana losing 12 out of 13? It was like a 6% chance. And the odds of Indiana losing 12 out of 13 with the one win coming at Michigan State was one in, I think, one in a thousand simulations. <laughs> just, just insane. Absolutely insane. All right, Ryan, any, uh, any final thoughts here? Uh, we we got one other question about how the season would have been different with Jerome and Race, but I feel like we end up covering that every show we do, so no reason to talk. Please about come that back, anymore. please come back, Jerome. We need you. We miss you. <laughs> we do. I mean, this is a guy who has first round, you know, lottery pick upside. I mean, he literally does. He legitimately does have lottery pick upside. Um, he's got to develop right. Obviously, there's a reason he was ranked 45th, where other guys were ranked in the five stars and top ten. Uh, I think competition had a little bit to do with that as well because Ohio is not a hotbed of of high school basketball. Um, but he's a guy who has lottery pick upside, and they have missed him tremendously this year. Imagine Indiana had another scoring option that could play 25 minutes a game. I mean, it cha- again, changes the dynamic of the team, and you could say, well, it's just one player, but if it's one player with that much talent, it really does change the dynamic of things, and he's also a guy who can shoot. So... Um, yeah, I, both you know. things that would help. <laughs> yeah, lot. and Ray Thompson, Ray Thompson. I mean, you've seen him for what, like, eighteen minutes in two games, and you already see what this guy can bring and and what they were relying on having. He was supposed to be like the seventh man this year, um, and he's just you know has been out, and it's been a shame that he's been out. But hopefully, he's past that, and and we don't have any other issues, and he's just an Indiana guy for for the next couple of years. Yep. All righty, coming up on the assembly call, Mike DeCourcy will be here for our Big Ten Roundup. We'll talk about Indiana's loss to Iowa, and then we will go around the Big Ten Conference, talk about that big Michigan-Michigan State win, and start looking ahead to some of the Big Ten tournament seeds and where Indiana expects to fall there. Stick with us on the assembly call. Welcome back to Banner Monday. Each week here in our second segment, we zoom out to get an objective opinion on our Hoosiers and to look at how things are going across the Big Ten Conference. And as you know, there's no one better to do that than Mike DeCourcy, who covers Big Ten hoops for BTN in addition to his columns for the Sporting News. Mike, welcome back to Banner Monday. Hey, Jared. How are you? I'm doing I'm doing well. I mean, you know, Indiana still isn't winning, but at least we're, we're playing a little bit better these last couple games. So there's... There's that. Um, so here's here's how I want to start this week. Jordan Bohannon obviously did it again uh, to Indiana. And since this is an Indiana podcast, and I'm sure you want to appease the masses, what is the meanest thing that you are willing to say about Jordan Bohannon on this podcast? <laughs> uh, the meanest thing? <laughs> yes, the uh, meanest thing. Rip him. <laughs> like, are you, it's like, is this is like a uh, made up uh, insult, like your uh, grandmother wears army boots from Sure. Anything. Well, I mean, we'll take say, anything. <laughs> you could say, you know, your brothers were all better, you know, or something like that, because there's been a million of them and they all were terrific. Uh, you could try saying that. Uh, but uh, it, he's been just phenomenal uh, under pressure. And if you give him any room at all in that situation, he's going to make you pay. He's, it's Yeah, that's it's one of the reasons why I... Uh, a few years ago, had a debate with Ken Pomeroy, who I absolutely adore his work. I think he's great. 
and uh, and he gave uh, you know he gave numerical voice to a lot of theories that I had about the game back a decade or more ago. And so I love his work, but I and I understand he has to calculate this and that, but I don't believe that late game success is is a is a fifty fifty proposition. I believe, you know, he has that luck factor in the, in there. And, you know, we both got tweets about that today. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess he has to, he has to quantify that some way. Uh, but I don't think it's luck. I mean, it, it guys who, t- guys who do what Bohannon does and teams that do what say Cincinnati does, uh, there, there's a, there's an art to it. Uh, you know, Cincinnati's up eight points with six minutes left. They blow all but a point of that lead. But down the stretch, they make the plays more often than not, uh, way more often than not. They made clutch free throws. Keith Williams went to the line, made huge free throws in a situation where if he misses one, if he misses both, uh, it, it, I believe you had a front end. If he misses that, uh, Connecticut has a chance to tie or win. If he misses the second one, Connecticut can come down and tie with a three, and then they have to decide whether to foul or not. No, boom, boom, he makes them both. Uh, they they get late late clock, uh, bad situation. Lucky to get the ball uh, to their to their point guard, uh, Kane Broom, and he has like a, a half a second to get a shot off. Fires in a three. It these teams just don't panic, and so that's that's the big difference between Iowa right now and the teams that they're playing. I. In Ken's defense, I think he might have even said that luck is not a good term for what yes. that measures because it's not it's not really about luck. There's a ton of things that can go into why you underperform, you know, your expected one loss record based on efficiency. But, you know, to your point, I mean, I think we saw Indiana win a lot of close games early in the season and you could point to specific execution that they got right. You know, like Rob Finnessy switching the screen against Penn State, you know, and, and ended up getting that steal. And we've seen here toward the end of the season close games where it's like, what are you doing, you know, yes. at the end of the game? My question for you at the end of the Iowa game, I think Indiana's offensive execution, it's pretty clear. You know, we've seen it before. I mean, you want the ball in Romeo's hands, but the step back threes at the end of regulation, probably not the best option, you know. So some of the offensive execution just hasn't been good. But defensively, with what happened at the end of the game there with Bohannon. Because Indiana's three-point defense was terrific against Purdue. It was terrific almost the whole game against Iowa. And then Bohannon just starts hitting these shots that look out of this world because he's off balance. It looks like he's covered. I mean, when you see that, do you just say, you kind of got to tip your cap to a remarkable shot maker? Or do you say, you know what? Devontae Green, you got to be a step closer to him. You got to do whatever it takes to not even let him get the ball because you know what he can do there. Like, where do you fall on that in terms of Indiana's defense at the end of that game? Well, first of all, there are times when you can do everything right and that player can still make a shot. I think you have to understand that. I don't think this was one of those times. I watched those plays very closely. Uh, there were I, there were four of them. Um, on one, he got over-aggressive, overran the play, gave, and, and he overran to the opposite side, to away from Bohannon's shooting hand. So he's on the other side. If he overruns to the shooting hand, it's no trip at all to get back. You know, he just happened the direction he was flowing. He overruns to the left hand, and then that gives the right hand. And Bohannon, remember, doesn't need a lot of room. So he gives him the right hand, and Bohannon's able to get it back. And 
you you can look at it and Devontae is challenging the shot, but he's challenging it after after uh, Bohannon has what he wants. He needs the room to get his right hand free, and he has it. Uh, there was the play on which Jawan tipped the basketball. Okay, um, it's what happens there. Does Devontae dive on the floor because the basketball is loose? No. Does he recover immediately to get his guy? No. Watch him. He's standing there waiting for something to happen, not making something happen. And, and when it ultimately winds up in J-Bo's hands, it's too late. He can't get back into the play in time to matter on the shot. And probably the most concerning of them, and this partly because it was the last, and honestly, by then he should have been out of the matchup. Um, on the last, when, when, when Jordan winds up on the baseline, inbounding the ball, I mean, look, I'm not a coach. I've never been a coach other than my Y league team when I was in June, when I was in, in high school. Okay. But I've watched and studied this game for years and I understand it. And when I saw Jordan inbound the basketball from the left side, you know, from the corner on the left sideline, or excuse me, the left baseline, right baseline as you're facing the basket left as he's standing and throwing in bounds. Um, you know exactly what they're going to do. They are going to inbound it to the nearest guy, probably a big guy, and then they're going to dribble handoff to him. Uh, maybe no dribble, just a, a clean handoff, depending on what's necessary. You know that's what they're going to do. It wasn't hard at all. And honestly, I thought Jawan should have switched it. Um, I it switched it to the point so that Jordan had two guys on him. Even if that meant the roll man was clean, okay, let him try to make the pass over Jordan's reach. Excuse me, Jawan's reach, excuse me. And so I don't think that they handled that play. That was not totally on Devontae. That was on both of them. But again, you know, Devontae's execution there wasn't good enough either because he was too far away when, when, when Jordan came in bounds. He didn't diagnose, okay, I know exactly where this is going. I know that when he inbounds this basketball, he's going to cut right to the three-point line. So I got to be, you know, he should have been angled to, to take away the possible lob to the, to the uh, rim. He's got to be angled there. And then as soon as Jordan releases the ball, he's got to shoot that direction because you know that's where he's going. Yeah. Would have been nice to see how that would have ended if Rob Finnessy had been in the game, a little bit headier of a defensive player who hurt his ankle. And as people are mentioning in the chat, you know, Rob missing the free throw, Al going over two at the line at the end of the game, that puts a three-pointer back in play to where it can right. hurt you. So it all, you know, it all it all just kind of goes together. Um, so let me ask you this now, and this is a not going to be a subject that any Indiana fan is going to want to hear, but, you know, as we now look down the stretch and what Indiana is playing for here over these last four games, trying to get a buy in the Big Ten tournament, playing on Thursday, not Wednesday, is, you know, something important. Indiana is currently, I think, 13th uh, or 12th, maybe. But they've, 12th, I think. I, 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 yeah. I'm not sure. Uh, I didn't, in, in writing it down, I think they and Penn State are both. Um, yes, they're tied with Penn State. That's right. And but, Indiana has the tiebreaker. Exactly, exactly. So they've got Rutgers, Illinois, and who else is ahead of them? Minnesota. Minnesota. Okay, and they would need oh, to Nebraska, jump over. Nebraska. It's Nebraska. Nebraska, that's right. By, by one game, or uh, by half game, but one win. Yep. Uh, uh, Rutgers is a full is a game and a half ahead of them. Illinois a game ahead of them. I think maybe two. Yeah. Uh, Illinois is at six and ten. Minnesota is at seven and ten. So you have to catch them. 
which means you, at the very minimum, out of the four remaining games, have to win two just to be in. Do we have the tiebreak mode? Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, they would all have to lose all their games. Uh, so it's a real challenge from where they are to get to that spot. And but Rutgers at this point is six and eleven, and then Illinois is six and ten, uh, and that's so that's nine ten. So yeah. you're not that far space wise. You don't have to climb over a lot of teams. You have to climb over in Nebraska. If here's here's Nebraska's deal down the stretch at Michigan, at Michigan State, Iowa at home. That's tough. It, so if they do great in that, they're getting in a tournament even. So but yeah. eh, it's hard to do. Uh, so there's that. So I don't think you have to worry a ton about the Huskers at this point. So then your target is Rutgers, which would be the next in line. And their schedule is at Iowa, Penn State at home. So uh, there's, you know, there's a likely loss on the schedule and then kind of a tussle with Penn State. And then good news, you get to decide things head to head on your court to an extent. It, it, you know, if you're still in the picture at that point, having done some work yourselves, you get to go head to head against that team. So, and then of course, uh, for the, uh, Hoosiers, you got Wisconsin at home, Michigan state at home, Illinois on the road. There are winnable games there. I think Michigan state's going to be pretty fired up, but they did. The Hoosiers already did beat them once. Uh, Wisconsin has been a tough team for IU to beat over the years. Uh, but they're in your gym. Uh, and, and even the, even the league's elite, Iowa, Michigan state, we mentioned, haven't been out of reach. They just uh, Purdue, of course, haven't been out of reach. To haven't just haven't reached them. So yeah, it's doable based on the schedule and based on ninety five percent of IU performances. You just got to close that last five percent. Trying to figure out what my reaction would have been if before the season you had told me that late February we'd be talking about what Indiana has to do to get the ten seed in the Big Ten. Yeah, because... you know, I, I, I obviously we didn't think it was going to go this way, and 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 there were many uh, flex points when it didn't have to. But uh, it, 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 there's so much has gone wrong. Uh, very little has gone right when you think about it. What would what would you say, Rob Finnessy, That's gone right. People didn't expect him to be this good as a freshman. But even at that, you have the asterisk that his concussion was just brutally costly to the team. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think Jawan has had about the year that you could have expected. It's just in a losing cause. Deron again, fine year, but he's at hurt. least healthy. That's nice to see. Now he's healthy, but yeah, yeah, now full season of health, totally different team and year, probably. Uh, you know, I don't think there's much that has gone like if you had a 50 50 deal could go either way. I think it's all gone, nearly all of it has gone the wrong way. Even the things that have gone right had a lot of wrong attached to them. Yeah, that's that's very well said. All right, well, let's look around the Big Ten, start with the power rankings. We had a big game over the weekend that I have to think uh, is going to have some impact on those power rankings. How do you how do you rank the top four right now? Uh, we've had Michigan as our number one team for a very long time, and we do have a change at the top. So uh, it, it has taken a while and a lot of work, but Michigan State's overcome uh, UM as a result of yesterday's win in Ann Arbor. Uh, it was a magnificent performance by the Spartans, and and I think in, in, it was it was a revelation in many ways. It was, I, and I I wonder if the people inside the program are like we kind of knew this is what would happen if that happened. That if we lost Nick, we might get better, and they have now. I think uh, when Nick Ward is healthy again, and presume it comes presume presuming it comes before they are eliminated from the NCAA tournament, and I 
think that'll happen because we still have, you know, two weeks of the regular season, then the week of conference tournament. We've already been through a week since he got hurt. So that'd be a full month before they even play their first NCAA tournament game. So I think that in some ways it's made them better and Nick can come back and become a complimentary offensive piece. We can't score. Okay, put Nick in, throw him the ball. Put Nick in, let him run, let him rim run, and let somebody try to deal with that. Uh, you know, Nick gets out of running when he plays starters minutes by the second half. But at the beginning of the game, he's often a threat to get two, three buckets that way. If he's playing 18, 20 minutes, uh, then all of a sudden he might run in all of them. So he becomes more dangerous then. And Xavier Tillman's offensive ability, uh, excuse me, his defensive ability, his significant improvement over Nick Ward as a defender of screens, uh, as someone who rebounds, uh, they're, they're much improved defensively. They were fine to very good, maybe even uh, defensive team before Nick got hurt. They've become a great defensive team in the last two and a half games. The numbers are phenomenal. We, 36.5% shooting, I think, uh, about 57 points a game, give or take, and wow. like 26% from three. That's what teams have done in the two and a half games since Nick got hurt. They're, they're turning opponents into Indiana offensively, basically. <laughs> <laughs> the way I said it was, <laughs> which I, I knew would not please all Spartans fans and pleased some of them less than I maybe thought. I got some interesting responses on Twitter. I said they discovered their inner Michigan. Uh, they became <laughs> an elite defensive team, and they weren't before. They were, like I said, they were their their, their efficiency ranking was very good. But you could you could beat them, yeah. The, you could beat their D before, but the last two and a half teams, I mean, Ohio State, they just wiped off the floor, uh, and then Michigan, like they didn't they they didn't destroy Michigan's offense, but they made them very quiet. All right, so. So we've got those two, and then who who rounds it out then after that? Uh, Purdue is coming very close to overtaking Michigan. That'll hap- That'll be decided within the next two uh, two two and a half weeks or two weeks, excuse me. Uh, they're coming close. Uh, it's just body of work is still favoring the Wolverines. The Wolverines got to get their offense going. Purdue is maxing out. Uh, I, I I saw on Saturday the defining moment of the Purdue season. Uh, you might have thought that it happened when Harms reached over Juwan to tip in the bucket to beat IU. But the defining moment of their season, it's like the microcosm of Purdue's 2018-19 team. Uh, late clock, you know, still game still in the balance, really need a bucket. Um, uh, Carson gets frozen outside the perimeter. And he's really struggling right now. Uh, and he has to get let go of a shot. He shoots an air ball that is legit three to four feet short. And what happens? Grady Eifert flies in like Mighty Mouse or whatever. Here I come to save the day. Ball falls right in his hands and he finger rolls it into the goal before falling, before coming down. I didn't even see the game and that was about what I was going to (laughs) guess. Yeah. He made like two or three plays that were similar, but that was like the microcosm Purdue moment. that's, That's been the difference between them and every other team in the league, really, because... There are teams in the league that are more talented than they are, and there are teams you know that are ahead of them or in their in their company, and then there are teams that are more talented that are you know wishing they could be right there with them, like maybe a Wisconsin or a Iowa. But they're they're you know they are the ones that make those plays. They're winning games even with Carson struggling terribly to make shots uh, in, in a slump he probably never imagined, a slump that 
it, you know, that is really affecting uh, the way they run their offense, and yet they still are able to win basketball games. And then after them, who do you have in that coveted fourth I think, spot? I think Maryland is playing very well right now, and 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 still the most talented team in the league in terms of NBA type players. Yeah. Uh, and and a team that if they, I'm not going to say keep it together because I think there's still some togetherness there that isn't quite all the way. Uh, I thought I saw great progress in that regard with Daryl Morcel on Saturday. I think he looked, I think he found a, a role in that game, uh, a way to affect every possession. He was fantastic against Ohio state. And so I think that was a big moment for him and maybe a big moment for them in developing a winning chemistry. Uh, it, they haven't overachieved in an NCAA tournament yet since Mark got there. Uh, they've made it. Um, they did okay in 2016, made the sweet 16, but then didn't really put up a great fight, you know, made it, uh, I think 2017, uh, and got beat around pretty good by Xavier in a game that where they were the higher seed. So, you know, you're, you're sort of skeptical. Will this team, you know, can this team hold its seed at least, uh, I'd like to see whether or not they can do that. But I thought more performance in that game was suggestive of a guy who who is now understanding how he can stitch together the the great talent that they have and not be superseded by the really promising young wings they have like Sorrell Smith or Eric Ayala and uh and Wiggins etc yeah who else out of those teams who else caught your eye players or teams this week well Cassius Winston to me it's the Big Ten player of the year award now is his to lose now I I have I think I have a vote in that now. I've I've been invited into the into the circle uh, <laughs> after ten years at the Big Ten Network. The uh, the uh, AP has finally offered me a ballot, so uh, I well deserved. Yes, yeah, so I think <laughs> I'll get a chance to have my say there. Um, so uh, uh, the I think he's got the award. It's in his hands. You know, he's maybe at the fifteen yard line. There's maybe a defender like you know a few strides behind him. He's just got to cover the rest of the way. But it's you know. It's still there to be. He's still there to be caught. Um, and then I was really impressed by Lamar Stevens, his performance at Illinois. I think it's an interesting question to discuss. Can you be an all-conference first-team player in a great league like this from the 14th, 15th place team? Uh, excuse me, the 13th, 14th place team. Can you? I don't know. Um, I think if you're one it. of the five best players. I don't see why not. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm I'm a pretty big team success guy, and I think that matters. But when you're playing like this, mm-hmm. you know, you make you maybe overcome that obstacle. I, he's been phenomenal, and uh, you know, I don't put much of the the, the losing on him, if any. Uh, and the winning that's happening now is a lot on him. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, it's an interesting question because if it's just stat accumulation. You know, only because they don't maybe have any other players. You probably have to do more to you know to get up there if you're not having the team success. But I don't think a guy should be disqualified just because his teammates aren't that good. You know, if he's having a great individual season, I mean, there are, there are team standings for a reason. That's where that gets taken into account. You know, and I, and I think a player, you know, you have to judge their performances individually. But I think yeah. he should have a shot. I had a coach tell me one time um, that, that it's a, it's a st- it's a sentence that I've always remembered. Somebody has to score the points because you don't shut up, shut anybody out in basketball. We've seen that. We've seen guys on bad teams that just get numbers. And, and we know what that looks like. And, and, and 
And that's part of the reason why those guys usually don't get into this conversation. But that's not what I'm seeing when I watch Lamar. It wasn't what I was seeing when I watched him earlier in the year and they were 0-10 to start. And it's certainly not what I'm seeing now that they're 4-2 at this point in their last six. Yeah. Uh, he, he is affecting games. And I think he was affecting games earlier in keeping them competitive in a lot of circumstances. So I do think there's a difference between, you know, a guy who averages 20 on a on a 2-18 and 18 team this year, 2-16 and 16 in the old days of last year. Uh, and so I, I think I don't think that what you see with Lamar is simple numbers accumulation because, you know, somebody's got to take the shots and somebody's going to score points when they do it. Yep. Yeah, and I'm not specifically advocating for him. I would have to look at yeah, it, but I, I yeah. wouldn't. I wouldn't disqualify him just because Penn State is not that good this year. Um, okay, so last topic for you: Indiana faces Wisconsin, as we've discussed. What can you tell us about the Badgers and what you think are the keys to beating them? Well, the first key with playing Wisconsin is you have to decide how you're going to defend Ethan Happ. Do you double? Uh, if you do, who do you leave? How do you double? Uh, do you dig? Uh, and possibly leave open a shooter like uh, Demetri Trice. Uh, that's a dangerous proposition. It 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 can really punish you. Uh, you know, Brad Davison has made a lot of shots as well. That's a it's a danger there, and it's also a danger if you go when they play a lean forward that you have to really think about the personnel there. Yeah. If you're doubling big to big, say okay, we're going to go big to big hard and make him give up the ball. First of all, he's really good at passing out of that. I mean, and I mean, like to the to like if if it's uh, Khalil Iverson, that's the other big. Um, or it, it, he he's really good at dumping down. So you, if you're going big to big, you have to make sure he sees no passing lane, and that's not easy to do. Uh, if you're going, if you're if you're if you're using his defender, the 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 four man's defender, and and he thinks he's in a double situation regardless, and then guard sneaks a lean forward onto the floor. Then you're going off of a lean forward who's want another of their most dangerous three-point shooters. Uh, so that becomes problematic for you. And so that's the first component to deciding uh, or to, to, to being competitive against Wisconsin. I think you have to push the pace when you get opportunities. And I, I mean, they get rip and run, go and see if you can beat them before they set uh, because they are very good in the half-court D. Uh, they do a great job with Nate Reavers when he's his, when he's the foreman. Uh, they do a great job of keeping Hap out of foul trouble by by using Reavers to guard the opposing big, uh, and and using Hap then to defend somebody else that that puts less stress on him. It's not that he's not a great defender; he's really good. But why why accumulate fouls if you don't have to? Uh, so that's another factor. Uh, you you if you could run it a little bit. And then probably from there, you have to be good in late game execution because you're probably if you're if you're competitive in the game and you're not getting well behind, you're probably not getting much distance from them uh, or you're basket for basket with them. And so in either case, you've got to you've got to make sure that your that your decisions in those moments are sound and precise and that you don't get caught watching. Uh, you you understand you know, you have the right personnel on the floor. That's a factor. Uh, and that those players then execute their responsibilities as well as possible. Because, uh, it, it, look, if IU wins uh, that game, I, it's not going to be by 15 points. It's not going to be by 10 points. It's probably going to be by two or four. Yeah. And so 
got to make sure you make good decisions down that stretch. Yeah, this is one of the best defenses they've ever had. I mean, they're they're in the top 10. They're ranked 6th in adjusted defensive efficiency. So, And they're a really good three-point shooting team with yeah, a great center down a, low. So they present a lot of problems. Yeah, a lot of that's a product of having being able to play double bigs. Uh, and so you that's a lot of size to contend with. Davison's an excellent defender, even though he's, you know, he 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 had gained a, a reputation for flopping that was not unwarranted. Uh, officials had made it fairly clear. I don't know if they have verbally, um, uh, you know, he's been warned. You know, I, I don't know whether they do that, but I think that their calls has made it clear to him that look, if you're going to draw a charge, you better draw a legit charge because we're not falling for anything. If it's iffy, he's not getting that call. Uh, right now he hasn't for uh, three weeks maybe and so I think he understands that now he's got to be sound he's got to be in position and he's not getting any you know he's not going to fool anybody and so his defense has been really good it's better when he's on his feet than it is when he's on his behind I'll tell you that (laughs) are you uh is there any chance that you're going to be at the IU Michigan State game on Saturday I am not I will be in studio at 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 BTN we've got uh you know a great slate of games uh, both uh, at BTN and and within the league on other networks, and uh, yeah. we'll be able to discuss it all on our uh, various shows and uh, and on the big show at the end of the day. Well, that'll be uh, that'll be an interesting one. Hopefully, we're we're going to be up there for that game, which is why I ah. asked. But it'll be a uh, we we get to face Michigan State once again with a full week of preparation. It worked out okay the last time, but we'll see uh, see how much different it is this time. It should but- be very. Got to take care of business against Wisconsin first. Well, thank you, Mike, as always. Really appreciate you coming on here. And once again, I will say, hopefully next week, we have an Indiana victory to talk about. When you come yeah, back. Good. good luck. <laughs> All righty. Uh, that'll do it for our Big Ten Roundup coming up on the rest of Banner Monday. I will talk a little bit more about the IU-Wisconsin game, some keys to victory as we look ahead to Tuesday night. And hopefully the Hoosiers can get back in the win column. We'll talk about it next. Welcome back to Banner Monday. Each week in our final segment, we dedicate it to previewing Indiana's upcoming opponent for that week. This week, it is the Wisconsin Badgers. We just talked about uh, the Badgers with Mike DeCourcy there for a little bit. Uh, I'll go over a couple more keys. I did want to address a couple of things from the chat that I saw. Um, I mean, you guys are all right. You know, the, the Iowa loss... Ultimately, it came down to shooting. Indiana couldn't make free throws. They couldn't have made. They couldn't make threes. That would have changed the outcome and not even allowed all of Bohannon's threes to matter. But I figured we covered that enough in the postgame show. So that's why I wanted to focus on the defense there with Mike and just kind of get his thoughts on that. Uh, but I saw someone. Um, I believe it was Joel because I was talking about Romeo. Uh, yeah, he said, you know, why do we want the ball in Romeo's hands? He isn't the best three point shooter. Fake the drive, kick it to Morgan or Al. Look, I think there are a number of options that Indiana could go to in in late game situations. I'd be fine with the ball being in Rob Finnessy's hands. I think he makes good decisions, you know, can break things down and create. I certainly think Jawan is a fine option. You know, I would say we tried to put the ball in his hands at the end of the Purdue game and he ended up dribbling it off his foot. So I mean, you you know, you've got to run an action I think that isolates him down in the post to let him go to work and I, I would certainly be fine with that. But I'm, you know, I'm okay with getting the ball to Romeo because he's such a dynamic offensive player. And because I really, I didn't think Iowa 
had anybody who could stay in front of him, which is why I thought he probably even had some more opportunities to drive and really be aggressive getting to the basket. Now, if you tell me that it's going to end in a step back three, no, I wouldn't want to do that. So I'm disappointed that that's the choice that he made, especially when he got Garza switched on to him. But I think he draws so much attention and is such a good finisher. You know, even on, you know, not even a step back three, but even if he drives in hard and gets a step back 15-footer. He's shown that he can make that. I would much rather have that than a three-pointer, especially when the game is tied. Um, but he can drive and create for others. We saw him create a wide-open three-pointer for Jawan Morgan in the Iowa game. Now, Joel, you're right. Romeo isn't always a great passer. He sometimes drives with tunnel vision. But even that, I mean, drive, make the referees have a decision to make to call a foul. I and mean, that's one of the things he does better than anybody is draw contact, get to the free-throw line. But when you just settle for the step back, you don't give yourself that opportunity. So I guess what I mean when I say that I like the ball in Romeo's hands is he can do the most things with the ball in his hands. I think we all agree with that because just because of all the different challenges that he presents to the defense. But I think if we're going to do that again, he's got to force the issue and not settle. I mean, you know, a three-pointer is probably the least efficient of all the things that he does. It was just the easiest shot for him to get. But in that case, start a little bit sooner give yourself a little bit more maybe time to probe once you get that switch and figure something out going to the basket. So that's what I would say. Bill says, has he finished anything this year? Yes. He's been one of the best finishers at the basket. And even when he hasn't been finishing, he's been getting fouled and his free throw shooting has gotten a lot better. He's actually had a very productive mid-range shooting game. We just haven't seen a whole lot of it. So that's what I mean. Like, you know, I think he and, you know, freshmen will do this sometimes at times can be too willing to take the shot that the defense wants him to take instead of forcing the action. If he were to stay at Indiana for, you know, two, three, four years, we would see him evolve into a just absolute killer of an offensive player. You know, right now he's still kind of feeling his way. And, you know, his choices at the end of the Michigan State game and the Iowa game, not good ones. I put some of that on the coaching staff. I mean, I think it needed to be clear we don't want to step back three in this situation. And it wasn't clear. So some of that's on him, but I think also some of that's on the coaching staff for not you know, having a better plan in place to where that's not the shot that you get, especially since we've already seen what happens there. So I just want to talk about that uh, a little bit more. I'm still, I'm fine if we get into a, a tough situation against Wisconsin, I'm fine with putting the ball in his hands again as long as it's clear that there's another plan there besides a step back three. <laughs> and that we're going to attack the basket and maybe run some kind of different action to uh, you know, to get him the ball in a different place or on the move or something like that. So let's talk a little bit about Indiana-Wisconsin. I don't have a ton to give you on this game, number one, because I thought Mike DeCourcy just did a good job with it. And because, number two, I'm getting... Okay, and as Josh says, to be fair, Archie decided to play for Iowa to switch. They did. Romeo didn't attack. Exactly. So half of that was good for the coaches. The other half is, Romeo, you need to attack, not step back. So that's what I would say. Um, I'm getting a little tired of repeating myself on these previews, saying that the game is going to come down to the three-point line. And yet, when you know, in our last five or six games, we've played Iowa twice, we've played Purdue, and we've played Wisconsin. You know, there is a reason why Iowa, Wisconsin, and Purdue are outperforming their recruiting rankings and even outperforming their overall experience level to be in the top half of the Big Ten, even though their talent suggests they should be in the bottom half of the Big Ten. And that is in part because of the three-point line, because of how good they are offensively at making threes. And at least in Iowa, 
well, at least in Wisconsin's case, they're good at defending the three. Iowa and Purdue give up a lot. They're just so prolific that they outshoot other teams. Wisconsin is actually really good on both ends in terms of their three-point shooting and their three-point defense. They're not quite as prolific as Iowa and Purdue in terms of shooting it. But, you know, I'm getting tired of talking about how the game is going to come down to the three-point line. But in a lot of ways, this game is going to come down to the three-point line. Because, you know, again, you start looking at, you know, when Wisconsin has lost games and when Wisconsin has won games, it's a pretty clear pattern. When Wisconsin gets beaten, the opposition either outshoots them from three or basically battles them to a draw. You know, like I think the Michigan game, they both hit four threes. But what the other teams do is they make more free throws than Wisconsin. They beat them from the free throw line. So those two things, either outshooting them from three and, you know, or at least kind of battling them to a draw and then outdoing them at the free throw line, typically, you know, getting a lot more attempts, but certainly making more, which you can do because Wisconsin doesn't shoot free throws great, thanks to Ethan Happ. That's kind of the formula. And now you can say, well, yeah, duh, Jared, most games when you outshoot a team from three and make more free throws, you're going to win. But, you know, Wisconsin is just a very solid team. They don't turn it over. Again, they shoot well. They play defense well. So they're not really going to beat themselves. You're going to have to go out and beat them in a lot of ways by making shots. And, you know, the other thing that you can't do against their defense, which is just very patient, they play at a slow pace. They force offenses to take a long time. Sometimes when we have to take a long time on an offensive possession, we're not really patient, and we just end up jacking up something at the end of the shot clock. You know, we have to be patient and not just settle for long jumpers. You know, we, we're going to need to take threes when they're there, but we've really got to attack. And that means Romeo has to be attacking off the dribble. We've got to find ways to get Juwan Morgan the ball down low. We've got to get it down to Deron Davis. You know, a guy like Al Durham needs to pick his spots and drive in. You've got to force Wisconsin to foul you, or you at least have to drive in, draw some defense, and get yourself a decent look from three. And if Indiana is just going to settle for taking the shots that Wisconsin wants us to take, we will lose this game again like we've lost the other ones. You know, if we have if we can turn some kind of corner on offense where we can combine being aggressive and kind of forcing the issue a little bit with still having smart shot selection, then we're going to have a chance. Because I think defensively, I think we're going to do okay. You know, Mike is absolutely right. You know, you've got to know the scouting report. Trice, Davison, Reavers, Pritzel, those guys are all 40% or better from three-point range. So you can't leave them, and you've got to know that. I would rather take my chances with Hap, you know, one-on-one down low, especially if Duran is in, and, you know, and even let Hap score his 20 to 22 points, whatever, on twos, but you don't want to let Wisconsin just go off on you from three-point range. So you've got to know who you can double off of and who you can't, you know, Iverson, Aleem Ford, Kobe King. I mean, I know Mike said, you know, Aleem Ford is a shooter, and he is, but he shoots like 30-something percent. Let me find the exact percentage so I'm not giving you bad information. Uh, Aleem Ford is 28.6% from three-point range on 63 attempts. So he's, you know, he's okay, but I would let him shoot. He's 23% in Big Ten play. Now, he was a much better shooter last year, but if you're going to have to pick your poison and there's a guy that you need to double off of or that you need to let shoot he would be the guy. So, you know, and the other thing to expect is it'll probably be a close game. Wisconsin plays a lot of close games. They play that deliberate style. They're not going to run away and hide from anybody. And, you know, three of their last five games, they've played Minnesota, Illinois, and Northwestern. All right, all of those teams are either basically, you know, ranked right near IU and Ken Palm or ranked below IU. And all of those games have been close. Wisconsin uh, won the Minnesota game by five. They won the Illinois game by six, and they won the Northwestern game by five. 
And again, in all of those games, the teams just weren't able to make enough threes and make enough free throws to win. When they played Michigan State and Michigan, two teams that are obviously much better than Indiana, they were able to do that and force the issue a little bit more. So, you know, that that's the thing. I mean, I, I to a certain extent, because of the way that Purdue and Iowa play and the fact that they aren't as good defensively, I felt better about our chances in those games than I do heading into Tuesday. Of course, because this season makes zero sense, we'll probably win the Wisconsin game after losing those. Um, but I, you know, I think defensively we'll we'll be okay if we can bring the same intensity that we had against Purdue and Iowa. But it's really just going to be offensively against a defense this patient and this solid and this sound. You know, can we not get frustrated? And are we going to have enough shot making and enough discipline to give ourselves the opportunity to get fouled and get to the free throw line? Uh, you know, to be able to to give ourselves a chance. Um, you know, I know it's easy to say the game's at home, but we haven't won a home game in a while. I mean, we haven't won almost any games in a while. Um, but that that's kind of what I look for um, uh, when we when we come into this game, and we'll just have to see what happens on Tuesday. Uh, it'll be the last time, most likely, that Indiana plays uh, Ethan Happ, so we can all celebrate for that. Uh, let me see. A couple more comments in the chat. Come on, Jared. Don't blame Rob for missing one free throw. What about all the others that were missed during the game? Yeah, yeah. That, that got taken wrong. Um during the game, I praised Romeo and Rob because they were the two guys that were actually making free throws. And that was the only free throw that Rob missed. There is no blame for Rob Finnessy. He got the game ball for a reason. I think Indiana wins the game if he doesn't have to leave in overtime. It's just a statement of fact toward the end of the game. That free throw was missed in a big opportunity. So if you make it, it's a four-point game. But it doesn't mean that it was necessarily more important than the two that Al missed or the you know three that Juwan missed or anything like that. It's just... You know, timing matters, you know, in, in terms of free throw shooting sometimes. And sometimes you just got to make those at the end to make it to take a three point game to a four point game. So John says, will Fitz match up good in this game? He could. I mean, look, if Fitzner plays like he did against Iowa, Wisconsin isn't going to necessarily blow you away with their athleticism. Although at the positions Fitzner would be guarding, you know, guys like Iverson, guys like Ford. They are going to be more athletic than him, but we're going to need shooting. So if Fitzner can come out and make shots, whether they're the mid-range shots or the threes, then he will always have a role for this Indiana team. It's just, can he get out there and produce seven to nine to ten points and make some threes? If he can, then he'll have a role. And if he can't, then he's not going to be much use because I don't think, you know, like if you're going to double Hap, Fitzner is not exactly going to give you a real strong double, and he's not really going to be quick enough to then go recover to a three-point shooter, so he could be taken advantage of. Um, but again, he's just got to make up for it on the other end by making threes. And if he can do that and have one of those games where he makes four threes, then that would be huge. So we'll see. Uh, but they said, what happened to Rob? He tweaked his ankle, that's for sure, because I saw him tweak his ankle and start limping, and he didn't play again. I haven't heard anything else about it. He was the player that they sent out, one of the players they sent out to talk with the media. So, you know, I'm assuming that's why he didn't play down the stretch because if he was healthy and didn't play down the stretch, that just doesn't make any sense at all. So, but I, I haven't heard. I don't know if Archie's meeting with the media today or tomorrow. Um, so we'll hope to get an update there. Um, but we will we will see. Anyway, that's all I got. Um, if you have any questions about the game or anything, always available at Assembly Call. 
and uh, we will have the post-game show. It's a late start. Game begins at 9 Eastern, 8 Central. We'll have the post-game show afterwards. And then again, uh, for anybody still listening, if you're going to be in town Saturday for the IU-Michigan State game, let us know. We're going to be at the Crazy Horse after the game. We would love to have you come hang out with us, even if you're not going to be there, if you're going to be at the game. You know, let us know, send a tweet, so maybe we can at least try to meet up, shake hands, say hi, because the best... Um, Oh, yeah, Josh. Yeah, he'll have the radio show tonight at the Holiday Inn, so hopefully we'll get an update there. Uh, but one of the reasons that we do, that we like coming up every year is to be able to meet you, the people who listen to the show, uh, who really motivate us to do what we do, especially <laughs> during seasons like this. So if you're going to be around, let us know because we'd love to meet up. Okay, that'll do it. Um, if you want to ever see us do the show live, as you know, uh, and be part of the live chat, join us at assemblycall.com on Monday afternoons for the live broadcast of our Banner Monday recording, at least through the end of the season, when we're still doing Banner Mondays. And you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you Tuesday night after IU Wisconsin, hopefully a victorious episode. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right. I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support The Assembly Call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show... We appreciate it. Thank you. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.